Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, today we're going backstage again with a really great guy who I've known for six or seven years, Kenny Reff, who uh, is the proprietor of Limelight Communications, which is a fabulous vid video production company who actually uh, is responsible for the look and sound of, of, of this show. And uh, we worked together for a long time. And one thing I've always been curious about, Kenny, is when we were talking at the very beginning, you said, you know, almost kind of revealing this in a way, he said, you know, I'm a burner. I said, a burner? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> and he said, well, I go to Burning Tree, I go to Burning Man every year. And uh, so I'll have to be off this next August when, we're, when, when I'm not available to taping. So we dug into it a bit. But it wasn't until now that we've had a chance to uh, to talk about what actually goes on there and in his long history. And, you know, what we want to get into in this show is really what what is Burning Man? What's the history? What type of people go? Uh, can we all go if we want to? Uh, you know, what kind of art gets created? What kind of music? What kind of people? Um, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing that, that happens almost, it's not spontaneous, but it seems spontaneous, I think, for the participants every year. And it's, um, I guess its greatest virtue, as Kenny will point out, is it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so Kenny, <laughs> did I miss anything? No, I think that's a good intro. We got, we got, <laughs> we got, uh, we got all of this. So, so we, you know, we've been talking about this before. This was started in 1984. 86. 86. Yeah. And you weren't there. Your yeah. first year is 2012. Right. But what, what happened in 1986 that got this launched? You know, it was just a couple of guys, a few guys, uh, Larry Harvey, chief among them, um, that uh, creative types living in San Francisco, and they decided to have a party on uh, Baker Beach, which is a small beach uh, in, with uh, a view of the Golden Gate Bridge. And they brought, uh, they made, um, like, I think, a 13-foot uh, effigy of a man, and they burned it um, for no reason. Uh, that's been... As far as I can tell, there was no particular reason other than to just... It was sort of be fun. Yeah. And it was, uh, my understanding is there were 30 people there, and they had a great time. And they came back the next year. Word had gotten out. They did it a year later, and um, a, a, a hundred or so showed up. And this continued for about three or four years until it got into uh, quite a few hundred. And then the police caught wind of it and came down... Um, and said, you can gather here, but you can't burn this thing because it's a fire hazard. And so they didn't burn it, and they looked for another location. And the other location that they found was two hours north of Reno in the Nevada desert, um, uh, an area that used to be uh, a lake. It's an ancient lake bed. It's flat, and it is in the middle of nowhere. So the way you get there is you fly into Reno, mm -hmm. and you drive. And you drive up there. Right, yeah. And so when they got this started, this was this was Larry Harvey that started it. Is he still involved, or there's yeah. is there who's in charge now? Right. Well, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. Um, there, uh, just before the pandemic, I want to say. Um, 
but uh, there, are, there were four other principals uh, at the time um, that were part of this small group that uh, carried it forward. And, you know, it wasn't with any particular intention to grow it into the phenomenon that it is now. Um, it, was, it grew very organically. Uh, people just found out about it in those early days. This is pre-internet. Um, there were like printed newsletters. There was a thing called the Cacophony Society in San Francisco that had a following, and these were like pranksters. Uh, their fam one of their most famous things was they all hopped on a trolley, a San Francisco uh, street um, cable car, naked. Um, and this was like a prank. And so they would go around town doing crazy things like this, and um, they got wind of this and publicized it to their following, and people drove out to the desert. And in the early days, it was totally unregulated. I mean, there's video of uh, people in a convertible driving at high speed over the desert shooting rifles in the air, you know? Um, so it was the yeah, wild I, I, I had an uncle that lived out there, and that's, that's that what they did for fun. Yeah. Right? He had a 50 caliber rifle. Yeah. And that's uh, a lot of guns in a desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was, you know, and they were, and each year the man, so to speak, got bigger and bigger. Yeah. The burning, you know, got bigger and bigger. Uh, but, but it eventually morphed into a major arts and music festival. Well, I surprised you the other day. You found, I, I went to Woodstock. You're complicated. Could I, I know a lot of your early years? And uh, yeah. That was 69, so that was before your time. Yeah. But, the thing was, sorry, the, the, the promoters there, a couple of New York guys, kids, and they were going to make a fortune with Woodstock. Now, yeah. did, now did the people that started this out, they've got, a de, they've got what they call decommodification. You're not right. supposed to be commercial when you go to Woodstock. To but Burning is, Man. But is, um, it, yeah. yeah, well, Burning Man, is that, is yeah. that a business? Is it a, is it a nonprofit? Or what, what? Yeah, it is a nonprofit. Um, and um, no, they, they didn't have any plan to make any large sums of money. They, they, they wanted it to be self-sustaining, um, and they didn't want it to cost them, them money. Uh, but uh, it, it, the profit was not the motive. Um, it, it really, you know, the motive is really to just fulfill, like, the needs of people that want to go out there and kind of, you know, play. You know, rewind, rewind the clock. Well, let, let me do my private equity thing, if I okay, may. Sure. Let me just do a couple of numbers here. 70,000 people are now roughly the number of 10. Mm -hmm. What's a ticket cost? These days, it's about $575, I believe. Okay, so they're... So yeah. and and that all all the revenue from that goes to set it, keeping setting up the city and the, that mm -hmm. five by five mile area. How's that organized? How do you how do you do that? How do you? Um, well, it's it's a radial that mirrors a clock, and so the street names they, they do set up the streets, and uh, those street names are from A you know begin with the letters. Uh, it's alphabetical, and they go from A to K. And then the cross-sections are the radials of the clock, so 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5.30, 5.45, that kind of thing. And so they, they create the streets, they provide porta-potties, and they provide ice, and that's all Burning Man provides. Um, but the, but you know, the rest of it is so, all provided by So if by you show up, you've got to bring in your food, your water, as uh, you pointed out in your memoir, yeah. Uh, you bring in alcohol as well. Yeah. I think you drank rum back in 2012. Yes. But I found that I never opened that bottle. I don't know if I wrote that there. No, you didn't. It's not. No, by the way, let, oh. let's. The, by the way, a lot of what we're going to talk about, at least the early days, is in the Burning, Burning Man memoirs. 
which Kenny wrote. It's fascinating, great pictures, really great feeling for what it's like to be there. Where do, where do we find that? That's what's the ULR? Yeah, so it's my name, Kenny Reff forward slash Burning Man. And it is, um, yeah, so I'm a journalist. You know, I used to work We'll put CNN. it on the website. We'll make it part of the, yeah. uh, the promo. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a journalist. And when I went to this thing in 2012, I was just so taken with it that I was just compelled to write about it. I'm not the only one. There's a lot of writing out there about this. Uh, but I did write a memoir about my first year where I went solo, not knowing a single person. And then about the second year where I was part of a, a big, what's called a theme camp. So getting back to your question about what Burning Man provides... So unlike other festivals, you know, a typical festival, the promoters provide everything. They book the entertainment. You pay for the tickets. There's vending. There, you know, all kinds of merchandise is sold. Uh, here, it, as you mentioned, it is um, decommodified. Uh, it's a gifting economy. There is no money exchanged whatsoever uh, on site. Um, that doesn't mean that, it, I mean, it, but it takes a lot of money to make all this happen. So that occurs ahead of time. And the theme camps. So they're provide, working with roughly forty million dollars to to put this together. The organization has that, and it's more than just the event. I mean, they're okay. they're involved in a lot of different things, and so right. But it is a nonprofit. But the theme camps are, you know, they have members. Uh, you join a theme camp if you li if you'd like to, and uh, everybody works together to provide something to the community. So some camps provide open bars. Some camps provide food. Some camps provide music, workshops. Uh, you want to get your hair washed. You want to get a massage. All of it's free um, and um, for that week. Yeah. So I forget to... I, did I mention in your intro your CNN background? No, no. I no, want no. to make sure... You mentioned your journalist. It's important. You were the first White House producer for CNN mm -hmm. back in the days when I don't CNN, know that I was the first, but I was a White House producer during my time there, yeah. I can call you the first. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it sort of bears on this because I think your level of curiosity as a journalist, you really had, yeah, I think you really had to get out there to, to see it firsthand. Yeah. Now, the year, the first year you went out there, though, you showed up just pretty much on your own. Yeah. No camp. Right. No, nobody went with you. Right. And you took the trouble. Did you buy something like a 40-pound wagon yeah. that you're going to carry all your stuff on? Right. To, I can just see, it was a little red wagon like a kid no, where you're no, hauling things. No, no, it was, it, was, it was steel. It was very... Steel. Because you had to have you, your... But you put you it in the airplane. Yeah, it was checked as luggage. <laughs> okay. It was crazy. But you had to have, as you said, your own water. So, yeah. I, I, you know, when I flew from D.C. to Reno, uh, I, I, I provisioned in Reno. So things like water I bought there. So... You know, there's something. Listen, when you get your ticket, they mail you the ticket with um, a 20, I want to say almost a 40 page, maybe 30 page pamphlet called The Survival Guide. And I meant to bring it, I forgot. The Survival Guide. And they're serious about reading it because you can die out there. Um, and they're serious about this. You need, a certain, you need to hydrate to a certain level, you need to drink a certain amount of water per day. Um, you know, obviously sunblock. Temperature all that during the day is 110, 120. Yeah, Temperature it can go up to 110. It can go down into the low 30s. At night. At night. You're yeah. talking about like a 60 degree variance yeah. Yeah. in a 24 hour period. Yeah, so you have to really be prepared. And um, they give you the information for that. Um, but yeah, I went out totally alone. I had done my homework. I love learning. So part of the fun of this, once I got my ticket, was to learn all about it. 
and I went out there and I got my water, which was in these uh, in these boxes. Well, it was pla plastic jugs in boxes, but I but I <laughs> but I didn't realize how much uh, that water weighed. And when I put it on the cart, <laughs> when I put it on the cart, I could barely that plus my other stuff on the steel you, cart. You couldn't haul I could it. I could barely haul it. And I wanted to go to a, to a particular area to camp in the city, and it was going to be impossible. So I started basically flagging down art cars. So, you know, you're not allowed to drive. Real there. quick, what's an art car? So you you can drive to Burning Man, but then you must park it. You can't just drive around. People right. get around on bicycles. But art cars are allowed to drive around, and they are modified vehicles that are works of art, and they're registered. And many of them are um, have mobile sound systems in them, and they become mobile dance parties. Um, but anyway, and, and they have a DMV. You know, the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles. No. It stands for <laughs> Department of Mutant Vehicles, and you have to, you know, wait online early in like the first day and wait to be inspected, and they will inspect you for brakes. So and this lights is like designing your float thing. for the for the for right. the parade. Right. Now, a mutant. <laughs> do they have a Do they have a minimum threshold of how mutant it has to be? Yeah. Yeah. Seems no. If to you me, try like... to get away with bringing a golf cart just so you would have some wheels. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Okay. It's got to be a work Not of mutant. art. Right. Especially, golf, especially a golf cart with exactly. this crowd. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you get so, but the, the one of the principles, and we'll talk about the ten principles of Burning Man. One of them is gifting. Yeah. And so the idea that you're hitching a ride, part of the culture is, people are supposed to want to to help you out. Help you out, and that goes to that's exactly true. You know, um, it is. You know, people change there. I mean, one of the reasons people go back can't keep on going back is that it's it's a totally different environment for one week you're in this community that has a different set of rules a different set of ethos um, people are fun they get into deep conversations they're fun loving you know it's um, and it's different than what they call the default do world. Do you, you think know? we could set up a, a, an alternate for Congress? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everybody from Capitol Hill there. Yeah, Maybe they absolutely. could learn some, learn some comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's snarky. Speaking of comedy, there's a there's humor to the burner culture. That's snarky? Really snark, yeah. It's very snark. snarky. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's a humor that's definitely there. This is Bill Walton. I'm here with Kenny Ruff, uh, Limelight Communications, and is a long-time attendee of Burning Man, which has been much in the news and much maligned by the mainstream press because there was some rain on the desert, and yeah. evidently this was supposed to be a catastrophe. And why don't you lead into that to show yeah. to, to, what, what, what really happened? I mean, Yeah, what, 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 this is fascinating for me. You know, <clears throat> first of all, you know, you know, I worked for CNN for seven years. My, my whole background is in journalism, very much a First Amendment advocate. And, you know, it's been distressing, you know, for years how the media has gotten so polarized and, and has lost its unbiased nature. Um, and so this is fascinating for me because it's rare to be at an event and know really what happened and then see the reporting on it. And it does reflect poorly on the press. Um, you know, it's, it's clickbait is what they're doing now. So what really happened was that toward the end of the festival, but not at the end, and that's an important distinction. On a, on, the festival um, was going to be over uh, Sunday festival night. festival runs from Saturday to Sunday. So Saturday it's eight, so it's to the days. following Sunday, okay. that's right. Yeah. And so on Friday night, um, it, it rained. 
And what that meant um, is that things be, it became uh, impossible to move around. Uh, you know, motor vehicles couldn't move. You couldn't even be on your bicycle, and that's the major form of transportation there, bicycles. Um, you could walk, but slowly. It's kind of like walking in a, in a, in a big... Are there uh, streetcars? Are there? Or big, can you hop? Um, can you hop storm. a local streetcar? No. no, no public transportation. No. It's all no. bike. Right. It's all bikes or walking. Right, bikes or walking, which is okay. normally beautiful and fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but this was immovable, and so for people that you know know how things work there, uh, real burners, you know, it just meant you acclimate. And one of the things that I think distinguishes burners from most anybody else is how they deal with, you know, with with adverse conditions and things and. Uh, and unexpected changes, how you go with the flow rather than freaking out. And so the news reporting about people you know, needing to get out of there, it, those were people that really didn't understand like, how to roll with it. Because all you needed to do was hang out for 24 hours, and it was all back to normal. And during that 24 hours, all it meant is that you couldn't bike across the city to something else. You had to stay local. You had to get to know your neighbors. And we had a great time. But the press, you know, wouldn't have you know that. Um, you know, like, for instance, this is uh, ABC News says the race to escape Burning Man. All right. And there was no reason to escape um, because it wasn't over. Um, and the only people that did were those that were like freaking out. This was a soundbite in that report where he said, I was scared. You know, he was scared because there's mud, you know. Um, <laughs> And th the worst was the Daily Mail in the, in the UK. Burning Man descends into chaos as revelers finally snap and fighting and, and fight during mass exodus. So, um, you know. But, you know, I read your two blogs from 2012, 2013. I don't recollect any, re any reporting on any fight at Burning Man. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like this is sort of just the opposite. It seems like you yeah. get... And we talk about personality types. I want to, you know, I want to go who who goes there in terms of the, all the demographics. But it seems like there's a personality type that goes there that wants to be um, adventurous, wants to be self reliant. I think one of your ten principles is radical self reliance, mm -hmm. and in uh, communal effort. Mm -hmm. And so you get certain types of people who want to be there. I think it sounds like a pretty attractive uh, yeah. peer group. Absolutely. You know, the 10 principles is one of the things that distinguishes this culture and this event from, from regular festivals. And they were written in 2004 uh, by the founder, Larry Harvey. They weren't written as a set of edicts. Um, they were written, basically, he just codified what the community was already doing. So by 2004, it had already been going from 86, so it's almost 18 years. So this, he took a look at what was there, and this was it. Yeah. Why don't you take it off? That might yeah, be I'd like to do that. Um, so 10 principles, radical inclusion. And, and uh, so uh, anyone may be a part of Burning Man. I won't read the entire thing. So anyone may be a part, and that's, that's what allows for its diversity. Uh, gifting. Burning Man is devoted to acts of gifting, and it is unconditional. It doesn't mean barter. It's not like you have to give something back. It's an outright gift. Uh, decommodification. This is really important. There is, you know, there is no uh, commercial sponsorships. There is no merch for sale. Um, and so that changes everything when it's all a gift. Um, radical self-reliance. That's extremely important. You know, they are saying, as I mentioned uh, when they give you the survival guide, 
You know, you need to be responsible for yourself. Um, radical self-expression. This is what allows for the playfulness. Um, this has been described as, you know, Disney World for adults. Um, I mean, to me, one of the reasons I got into it, you know, it was why it attracted me, is that it reminded me of the fun I had as a teenager and in my young 20s before things got really serious, you know. Um, so radical self-expression. And that's why you'll see all the crazy costumes. Uh, but then you get into things that sound like the Boy Scouts. Uh, communal effort. Our community values creative cooperation and collaboration. We strive to produce, promote, and protect, and protect social networks, public spaces, works of art, and methods of communication that support intera that interaction. And then another, civic responsibility. We value civil society. And then, um, and then participation. Our community is committed to radically participate, right? Do not be a spectator, right? Participate. And immediacy. So this is really important. This is about like, you know, getting off your phone, getting out of the screen, and being there, living in the moment. And it says, um, immediate experience is in many ways the most important touchstone of value in our culture. Um, and lastly, leave no trace. This has gotten out into the larger world. You will see that phrase, leave no trace, all over the place now. And Burning Man pretty much invented it. And it is, our community respects the environment. We are committed to leaving no physical trace of our activities wherever we gather. We clean up after ourselves and endeavor whenever possible to leave such places in a better state than when we found them. So you will not find that at any other festival. At any other festival, they spend untold sums of money to clean up all the garbage that people just leave. And that's not done here. Everybody's responsible for that. And they have to be, because this is on federal property. So this ancient lake bed that I talked about um, is owned or well, managed by the Bureau of Land Management. It's public space. And it's public. You're allowed to go there. And this kind of event requires a <coughs> permit. But if they screw it up, they won't get the permit renewed. So leave no trace is very important. So the Woodstock, they took about two weeks to clean it up. I mean, it was a mess. I bet it was, it was harder there. this year on the desert because of the mud. Everything had to be mucked down in there. But and, nevertheless, and people, there are stories now I've seen of <clears throat> this. This is amazing. Of people going back to Burning Man. These are mostly people on the West Coast that can yeah. drive there, yeah. going, getting home, and then Burning Man put out a call and said, "We need more help. This has been a special, a hard year." People going back there with shovels to help clean up, just to help clean up. So what is the profile? I mean, how many men attend? How many yeah. women? What's the, is there, you know, with yeah. this era of identity politics, <laughs> I mean, what's the identity? Well, they do. If you Google Burning Man census, you'll get onto one of their web pages. Yeah. By the way, having said that, if you go to just burningman.org, I think it is, uh, or com, Burning Man, um, the website is so incredibly robust. Uh, just check out the menu that's on the side and start playing around, and you'll just fall down the rabbit hole. But one of the things is um, they do have a census that's been going on for years. So I have some statistics here. Um, right now, the median age is 37. That's the median. But there's quite a few people over 50. And um, so over the years, there's, it is, room, it, there's room for Sarah and me if we. I'm, I'm a, over 50. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. You can look okay. at the chart and you can right. see the numbers of people over 60, over 70, over 80. Um, it gets smaller, of course, because <laughs> the conditions are a little tough. It's like my triathlon. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's very diverse economically. 
So one of the things is, I mean, personal income over the years has been trending up as this thing has gotten more popular. And of course, it's skewed by one percenters that go, you know, more and more now because it's, it's the cool thing to do. But um, more than 45% make more than $100,000 a year. 45%? Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, about 18% make less than 25000 mm-hmm. So you've got both ends there. Um, about 35% have a master's degree. 40% voted in the last four presidential elections. About 54 identify as Democrats, but 34% identify with no political party. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Well, this group, this listing here seems very, liber- your principles seem very libertarian. Yes. I mean, it's not, I don't, this doesn't line up left or right. This seems... Uh, that's been, I think, if you had to, you know, there is no political party associated with Burning Man, but sure. if you had to, I, I would say that'd be the one. Uh, because they are all about, like, they do not have many rules, you know? There are, rule, there are rules for safety. Well, well, That's about it. What about that? I mean, you've got, you mentioned police. Yeah. What do police do there? Yeah. And how many are there? Yeah, there's quite a few, and a lot are undercover. Um, and because first, you've got probably at least three different jurisdictions. I mean, you've got fe- the, fed- the federal ones, because mm-hmm. it's federal property. You have Nevada State, and you have the county. And, and then you have this thing called rangers. These are uh, burning man volunteer burners who are volunteers, and they're given... It's very organized. They're giving communications, and they are kind of the uh, intermediary between the burner attendee and real law enforcement. So the rangers can come in if there's an issue, and and they're like the first folks that you call if you have a problem with something. But you know, there's no real crime there. Um, what the what all of the law enforcement there is for is you know drugs, you know. Um, that kind of thing. So you, you don't, you walk around and you won't smell cannabis very much, whereas you would at a typical festival because, you know. Well, that, are, are dr- what drugs are legal in Nevada? Well, that, that's a good question. Uh, you know, cannabis is legal in Nevada, but this right. is federal property. So it's not legal. Just the same way as it so is here in So they're enforcing marijuana you, laws that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, people don't really get busted for that, yeah. as far as I understand it. You know, I mean, they're there as. Um, uh, what's the word? You know, they're there to like show force, you know. Uh, but it is a self-policing community. And, and along those lines, even things like, you know, women feeling safe and being safe. What percentage of attendees are women? It's about half and half, roughly. Okay. Roughly. It's, okay. it's a, more, a little more men than women. It's off by just a few percentage points. Now, how sexy is burning? It's yeah. extremely sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's extremely sexy. And, and the reason it is, is that women feel safe there. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a problem now and again in a city of 70,000. Right. But it is a much safer environment than certainly your typical nightclub or bar or city street. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's self-policing. Um, I mean, I, in my 10 years going, um, I have never seen actually anything that was an altercation, any kind of fight, any kind of, you know, some woman being really upset at some guy or just some two guys getting into a fist fight or anything. I've never seen that. And if it happens, the people that are around, you know, would go in and mediate and, 
you know, and help. It seems like it. Yeah. It's part of the... Yeah. And so the reason it can be very sexy, and, and that doesn't mean like, like, you know, people aren't fornicating on the street, but it means that, you know, women can walk around topless and not worry about it. And, you know, they can do that because it's a fairly safe it's environment. Like a, like a European beach. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. And clothes are optional. There are a fair number of naked people walking around. Yeah. Thank you. Your first year, your, your, your blog first year, I think you, you, you uh, took advantage of that. Well, I wa the first year, as, as, as you mentioned, I went to... Um, uh, Fortunately, went, you're very fit. So. <laughs> but I went, I, I wanted to go to an area of the city called the walk-in camping area. And it's an area that no vehicles are allowed whatsoever. Yeah. And so I pulled my wagon as much as I could, and then I hitched a ride and somebody towed it with a rope um, out, to the area, out to the perimeter of the area. And then I had to manually pull it in a few hundred feet. And, you know, I'll put a picture up in this thing of me sitting there. It reminds me of the old Maxell uh, Maxell tape ad, you know, the, my, my posture. But the, um, but uh, yeah, first of all, I was in an area where there were very, very few people, as you can see in that photograph. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, it was uh, early morning, you know, you don't want to be out naked in the, in the, in the heat of the day. I mean, <laughs> you know, just get fried anyway. But, you know, it's, it's, it's liberating to do yoga naked out in the sun you know, it's like you don't get to do that too often. So there's a closing ceremony with the burning of the burning yeah. of the man, and then there's also the burning of the temple. And I, we ought to talk. Is there an opening ceremony? Does yeah. it, does it officially yeah. say okay? Yeah. No, there's no opening ceremony. Um, but those two big burns, yeah, they're they're important touchstones um, and very different. So. You know, the man is this effigy. Uh, everybody's pretty much seen that by now, and it changes every year, and it's made of wood, and it goes up in flames on Saturday night at the end of the week. Um, the temple goes up in flames the following night, Sunday night, and they're very, very different. The, the man is, you know, it's a celebration. There's incredible fireworks. Uh, some of the best fire, actually the best fireworks I have ever seen are out there uh, while this thing is burning. And it's uh, very celebratory. And... You know, it's it's the the question always arises. Well, why is this burns? It, it's beautiful. So much work has been do, uh, put into it, and also it's not the only thing that burns. A lot of the art that's made of wood burns, usually th <clears throat> Thursday night and Friday night after having been on, uh, you know, been able to be viewed during the week. And the question is why? And and the answer is that it's it's sort of, you know, <coughs> celebrating. That's not the right word. It's reflecting on the on the fact that. Everything is temporal. Nothing, nothing, everything changes. Nothing stays the same. Life is fleeting. It can turn on a dime. And you should need to appreciate every single moment um, of your life because you never know when it's going to flip. And the same goes for everything. And so this art, which has taken dozens of people, each one of these things has taken many people, many hundreds of hours to create. It's appreciated, and then it's burned. Now, that's the man. Um, Sunday night, the temple, which is non-denominational, non it's not religious, but it is highly spiritual. Um, and it's an area, it, it's a place um, that is devoted to loss, personal loss. And so it's a place for people to go and write on the walls or leave photographs or leave real artifacts about loved ones that have lo they've lost, pets they've lost, 
you know, lost opportunities. And so what happens when that burns Sunday night is, you know, 70,000 people are in a circle around this huge piece of art. And you can hear a pin drop. You hear a lot of whimpering because, you know, it's a very emotional thing. What's going up in flames, you're letting go of the, and, the loss. And you walked into the temple, as I recollect, and there were people lying on the floor or meditating or things like that. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And people go in. Well, is there? It, 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 I want to touch on this, but it seems like the elements are there. There of, of art, music, food, spirituality, and then, uh, of course, sex and drugs. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, it seems like the. Let's talk about the art. I mean, how much of it gets created to get burned, and how much of it is mm. is brought in and then taken back out. Yeah, well, and who I creates it? Is it? Uh, yeah, Good. yeah. Um, the majority of the art is burned, uh, is is temporal, made of wood. But more and more uh, over the years, uh, more art is now being created that's not meant to be burned because it then finds a home later on. Um, in the art world, um, the the art of Burning Man is considered legit. Uh, the, the New York Times every year does a section um, on what on the major art pieces happening at Burning Man. Um, Seems like it's awfully be awfully hard to keep that from getting commercial. I mean, you know, the art world is very good at turning a piece of art yeah. into money. Yeah, and it seems like there'd be real cachet to say this piece was yeah. it was at Burning Man. I'm I, I think that does happen. It's got to happen afterwards. It's got to happen. Yeah, there's a lot of Burning Man art that does find its way, whether it's in public spaces or in private spaces, and I'm sure money is exchanged then, and and that's allowed. It's not at Burning Man. You're going to edit this afterwards. I hope you yeah. show a lot of the art that's in this book. So this is one particular. This is a really <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, coffee table book, but there's quite a few books on Burning Man. But this is this okay. is devoted to the art of Burning Man. I'll bring some of these full screen. But um, I mean, this uh, now here's an example of a piece. This is called El Pupo Mechanico, which I believe translates to um, the mechanical octopus, and that's what it is. Uh, this is one piece that is clearly not wood, and it has been there. It was there in 2012 when I was there. Uh, and I don't know if it was there for many years before that, but it's, it's, it's a real staple. And to see, I actually have video, even from this year, of it going down the street, which you're probably seeing over me talking right now, if I've done my editing correctly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, you see the, the fire coming off of the, what they call the poofers. These are, this is propane. And there's a lot of big art that has uh, poofers. Um, so, you know, fire is a, a big part of this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when you're there, the, you know, these days you can, you can see no end of photographs and videos of what goes on at Burning Man. But I got to tell you, when you go there in person, it's like you never saw it before. It just blows you away. The enormity, the, the sheer vastness of everything, um, like just the quantity, the <clears throat> quality, it just is off the charts. So it's really inspiring. I mean, for people that are creative or, you know, whether it's a hobby or whether it's their business, this is, you know, a master class in creativity and industriousness. Um, you know, people that don't know much about Burning Man think it's a bunch of hippies out in the desert. It is the furthest it's thing. It's clearly not. Furthest thing no, from hippies. Hippies no. aren't productive.
Um, this is these are people that get things done. So, music. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the music there has to be incredible. It seems like you've got an entire range of, of music. How many different venues and what, what genres? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, in the, my understanding, and again, you know, I only started in, in 2012, my understanding is early on, it was a lot of live music um, and all kinds of music. Over the years, probably beginning in the early 2000s, the majority of the music has now become what's called EDM, electronic dance music. So um, I'll play a little bit maybe underneath me talking here um, so you just get a sense of what this is. So it's a DJ that plays. Um, but it's not, you know, if you, go to, um, if you go to a wedding and there's a DJ, they're mixing one song that you know, a popular song, and then they're picking another popular song, and they're mixing between Well, good them. DJs are, you know, in a commercial world, they make two, three, four, five million dollars a year. I mean, that's become the prominent way that yes. people... That's, so the, that's, the, that's what yeah, is happening. These, these are DJs for ED, EDM DJs. And yeah. what that means is that this is not music you, you hear on the radio. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's original music that's produced by various people that they mix together in a way where they are constantly mixing different tracks mm -hmm. together. It's a real art form. Um, and, but I have to say, it's extremely repetitive. It's, it doesn't, usually does not have lyrics. Sometimes they do. Sometimes live instruments are now integrated, but it's, it's more, you know, it's kind of, I want to say it's a little bit like classical or jazz or the kind of jazz. I know, I know the music. We play, yeah. we play the music at our swimming pool. All right. 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 And it's like jazz, say instrumental jazz yeah. in that it's, it's, it can be great for background music or classical. But not, but, but the, but the rhythms are not nearly as intricate as jazz. No, no that's true. No, it's very repetitive, and and but it's wonderful for dancing. Yeah. It's a different kind of dancing. Um, you know, it's not couples dancing. It's not moves. It's just sort of more flowy. The move, but, music you'd hear at Saint Tropez or Ross. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're hearing this. Yeah. You're hearing EDM now all over the place. You'll hear it at restaurants now in the background. Sure. You know, you'll hear. <laughs> so it's it's become very popular. So dance. But, but let me just say one thing. But one of the, you know, one of the most, I mean, a lot of people, myself included, one of the things we love about Burning Man is the music there and, and the way it's presented. So in addition to, you know, it being presented on a stage and, and, and like a sound system at a camp, um, there are huge art cars. Well, you have, you have mutant vehicles that, uh, that that house dance floors and, and, yes. and the music, and they go. Well, they don't have the dance floor, but they have. They're 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 a huge vehicle. Oftentimes, yeah. it's a uh, modified bus. Right. Oftentimes, a large bus. It's been totally modified. You don't even see the bus anymore. And I'll show pictures here. What you're probably seeing now is a very famous one called Robot Heart, which is a group based out of uh, New York City. And they've been doing this for more than a decade, and they're just one of many. And, you know, technically speaking, the, the sound of these things is, is, is world class, just world class. This is the kind of stuff that if you were in any city and wanted to be at a venue, one of these kinds of things, it would cost you a lot of money. And yet here you can do this every night, you know, for free. So the private equity gene me keeps coming out so you've got the investment that the organizers make and yeah. the basic infrastructure but there are millions tens of millions of dollars that are probably invested yeah. by people or participants to bring their art or their music right. to the venue 
Yeah, and it's not for profit. It's it's really gifting. Well, it is, but you also it's a branding yeah. opportunity. I, the way I think of it is, if you're there and the people take in the music, gee, where can I listen yes. to this someplace else? Yes, that, then it becomes well, like for instance, the DJs, even yeah. world famous DJs. And for those of you watching the program that know any of this, like Diplo was in the news. This is a DJ named yeah. Diplo, and he famously needed to leave Burning Man during the rain because he didn't want to miss a, a gig that he had i'm pretty sure actually here in washington so anyway he had to get out and of course the news covered him because he's a famous dj now he would normally command thousands of dollars for every single show he plays there for free everybody plays for free but like you said yes it's it, it ups their cred it's a, it's a big deal it ups their I cred was, i was a they dj played a burning man, man. My heart was a burning man mm -hmm. uh, right. this, this is a bill walton i'm here with kenny ruff and uh learning about this amazing Vent uh, Burning Man and everything that goes on there. Uh, what about food? You mm. seem like you go from treat to treat to treat. Do <laughs> so we have the much... same sort of creativity that goes into the it's food? It's so much fun. Oh my God. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of camps, you know, their gift is food of one nature or another. Mm -hmm. And there you can find out about them. I don't want to get off topic. I want to get back to the food. But you can find out about it because a book is published with thousands of events. And these kinds of events, and you get this when you, when you enter is the city. Is that available only for people who buy tickets? Or can well, you get actually, it on the internet if you were curious? Yes, there's a digital, the database is okay. available, right? You okay. can see all this. Even now, you could go back to a previous Burning Man and see all of the events. But the print version is given to you when you actually enter the city. Okay. It's, it's not even when you receive the ticket. And so you can know what's going on. And people do things like pancake breakfasts, you know, Turkish coffee. Um, I mean, you, there, there's roasters. Our, our camp actually had a huge industrial rotisserie, you know, and it was a huge barbecue. And this is all powered by generators, you know, everything has to be brought in. So um, you can go without any food. There are people that go and don't bring any food and their plan is that's how they do their day. They're like, okay, where can I get breakfast? Okay, where can I get dinner? And you can do it that way, you know, if you wanted to. It's crazy. And you wait in line. I mean, because if it's a good thing, there'll be a lot of people there. But then, you know, you talk to people, and that's what your day is. I mean, even though there's thousands of things, and you can go through this and highlight it and say, oh, I want to do this, 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 and this. And you know what will happen? You'll be on your way to do this, and you'll never get there because you'll, you'll get sidetracked. Mm -hmm. There are just, you know, you're walking the city streets. It's just lined with camp after camp after camp uh, of things. There are hawkers out on the street, you know, like trying to flag you down to come in and do this thing. Spin this roulette wheel, you know, and that will like tell a, you like what a, you're going to... Like a carny barker? Exactly. Yeah. They have them out sometimes with megaphones. Hoochie coochie acting. Yes, exactly. You know, brand your ass. Come on, get in there. <laughs> You know, you do have that sort of I mean, there was a the brand. There was a brand brand your ass. Yeah, you are brand your ass. It was one of the first uh, things I stumbled upon on my first day at Burning Man, I think, in 2012. And it, it wasn't this is, this is luckily, not conjuring up a, a pleasant experience. Well, luckily, it wasn't an actual hot iron. It looked just like it, but it was ink. And but what you had to do is you had to reveal your butt and, and you had to choose which brand you choose, which brand you chose, which brand. And then you revealed your butt and they branded you. But then, no, you couldn't just leave. You had a parade along the line of judges, you know, <laughs> before you could leave. So did you get to pick, you get to pick your own brand? Yes, or is yes, this... yes, yes. 
So, yeah, yeah. So, so, but the people, you, 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 it's, it, you went there in 2012, 2013, and then it was off during the years of 2020 and 2021. Right. Did it start again in 2022, or was this year the yeah. first year it was back? Yeah, no, it came back on in 2022. So it was off, it was officially off for two years. Two years, 2021. But in 21, in 20, the first year it was off, uh, about, uh, my understanding is about 1,000, somewhere between 1,000 and 3,000 showed up anyway, because it is public land. And if you're just going to go as an individual, you don't need a permit, right? So no event was technically held. But at that time, these people showed up, and, and they had apparently a very good time, and word got out. And the next year, which was also 21, officially not happening, my understanding is more than 10,000 people showed up. Well, and it was, it was, and they called it, they're now calling it renegade. That was the renegade burn. Well, as you describe the people, I mean, what's going on, if, if, you're, if you're concerned about masks and social distancing, <laughs> I don't think this is your event. No. <laughs> but... But Bill, but Bill, but Bill, the, 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 this, is, this is uncanny. So one of the things, you know, this, th there are dust storms out there because it's on an well, alkaline water. Yeah. And so you always walk around uh, uh, having a mask sure. and, um, and goggles uh, somewhere on your person because it can come in out of the blue. It can be a gorgeous sunlit day. And, but then all of a sudden the wind comes up and this alkaline dust just comes up. So the mask of choice is the N95, right? Has been the N95 3M mask for, forever. forever. Okay. And all the burners have them, not just there, you have them at home because you bring them home, you bring them back or whatever, right? So when the pandemic hit and I'm walking down the streets of Washington, D.C., hey, seeing people, no, seeing people in N95s, I'm like, this is surreal. Because you never saw people walk around in these things except out on the, on the Burning Man desert. And this is what the, actually what the desert is like. So, you know, uh, this is not sand. This is, first of all, they okay, call you're it... you're holding up a jar. You, you collected that jar yeah. from, uh, from the desert. I uh, collected this jar, and it's like talcum powder. By the way, if anybody's listening to this, go back and take a look at it on YouTube <laughs> because the visuals that you're going to see that Kenny puts up are amazing. So this is the actual muck. This is the this stuff. This turned into the muck. This, this, yeah. this gets rained on, and this, this is... You can't weave right. So this this is not dirt. It's not sand. It's um, it's an alkaline dust that that coats the top of uh, of the surface, and it's responsible for winds, dust storms that happen. But also when um, when water gets into this, um, it turns into clay, and so it becomes it, it, it attaches to anything like tires, and so you just can't move. You can walk, but it's like walking through three feet of uh, of snow. It's very slow. So a lot of people left their shoes in the muck and uh, yeah, in, at the last event. Well, that. Okay. So what we're we promised we try to keep this under sixty minutes. Although I think we can. I don't know. I'm I'm having a hard time doing that. I'm How so curious. There's never been a movie made of it. It's <sighs> a good question. I mean, for for one thing, Burning Man has a very very strong IP department, intellectual property department. Um, you will find, you will see that you will never be, you will never see any commercial product with a burn, using the word Burning Man or their logo. Like, you know, say there's, you know, something that's used a lot at Burning Man, like a particular kind of um, water bottle. That manufacturer can never say this is the chosen water bottle of, of burners. Um, they're very, very, you know, they enforce that rigorously. So there are documentaries on Burning Man. You can definitely see that.
but there's I don't think you'd be able to make like a feature film about it. Well, the commercial possibilities from this are extraordinary. Right, and that's why they have to be absolutely vigilant. Yeah, because it'll get out of control. So, uh, but in the the financial piece of this is you get more and more venture capitalists who have never, they don't walk or ride in cars anymore. They take helicopters. Is there right. a lot of pressure for a helicopter pad at? Uh, you know, actually, there's no helicopters don't land there, but they actually have a bona fide airport. And it sure. actually has, you know, it's an I bet, official... I bet there are a lot of helicopters coming in and out now. No? No, no. I don't know why, okay. but it's maybe right. it's too far. I'm not sure. It's always small planes. No jets. It's a very small airport. It's FAA. It's a real FAA airport that's only there during Burning Man. Again, it's on the same desert. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, people can come in by that method, and certainly the celebrities typically do. Because if you come in by a vehicle... Um, it's it's a very long entry time and it's an extremely long uh, exit time. Getting tickets. There's the regular way, and there are also scalpers, I assume, for tickets. If you want to, if you yeah. just got to go, you can you can pick it up from. Yeah, well, so getting tickets, you know, Burning Man. Um, it's the supply and demand is way out of whack. Is you know, it's in great demand, and so Burning Man puts the tickets on sale. I think on three separate days in the months leading up to the event. But the chance, and, and you can find out when they are. You know, it's on their site, and then you can go on uh, at the time and and try your luck. But it is kind of like uh, you know, luck of the draw because uh, the chance of getting it is not great. So the other way of doing it. Um, Scalpers, pe people do attempt to resell, but um, the the ethos in the community is that if you see any ticket for Burning Man that is at more than face value, that is the person is trying to make a profit, you stay away from it. Uh, and so there's not a lot of success with scalpers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the tickets aren't gifted, okay, well. but if you can, if you have a ticket and then you find you can't go. You can sell it. Nothing prevents you from doing that. But typically, you will sell it for what it costs you, including your fees, but not to make a profit. Um, but the other major way of obtaining a ticket is to join a camp. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the camps are the major areas uh, where all the action occurs. Uh, they're the places that are providing what all the entertainment. What do you think, Sarah? I think we have to go. I think you're a burner. <laughs> you got, you're a burner. I can... and, and so the camps are allocated tickets by Burning Man. Again, not free, but they're allocated the tickets so they don't have to play the lottery um, and, um, uh, because they want the camps to succeed. They, they, you know, they need to have... Well, the camps seem camps. to be a piece that really glues, a glue that holds this thing together. If everybody out there were atomized, it'd be impossible. No, right. And then you have a built-in community, and more than that, you have built-in infrastructure. Yeah. So this is the thing. You need what so if you're That's part what I mean of a about camp, the other investment besides just with the organizers yeah. they create they invest in the infrastructure that makes us work well the camp, so camps if you're a camps always have dues so you're paying dues to the camp ahead of time you know sure and and then so the camp then has a budget and it uses that again it's not for profit but it uses that money to create infrastructure like if you're a member of a camp you don't have to bring your own water because the camp will have water. I mean, huge 500 You don't gallon. need your wagon anymore? You don't need your wagon. You don't need your food. You may not need a bicycle. Your camp may provide a okay. bicycle. So, and very importantly, if you're in a tent, as a, and you could be in an RV, but if you're in a tent, they'll provide shade structure. So a couple of couple questions as we, and I'm gonna to try to wrap this up, mm -hmm. it's hard. <laughs> 
Uh, one of them is the, you said people change there. Mm. And it seems like this would be in our highly politicized, toxic culture in America right now. It seems like there's a lot of virtues here that you wish could be part of the larger, larger culture. Yeah. And it's sort of, is there any transmission mechanism you mm. thought of? And then the other is kind of the flip side. What are the horribles here? What do you, what would you change about mm -hmm. Burning Man if you were, mm -hmm. if you had the well, let me magic the first wand part to do here, that? But let me address the first part first. Burning <clears throat> Man has real realized years ago that, I mean, what happens for one week out there is not sustainable. I mean, you can't have in our society a, right. a gifting culture, yeah. right? Everybody knows that. That's fine. Um, you know, so it is a special week. However, you know, the ethos, the, the principles, the, you know, the way you live your life. Yeah, that can come out into the well, real radical self-reliance, radical, even self-expression, um, yeah. communal effort, civic responsibility, leaving no trace. trace. These are tremendous. Tremendous. And so they have created um, one of the reasons, you know, when we talked about Burning Man's budget, it's not just about creating the event. They also have other big things that go on all around the world, uh, smaller, what are called regional events. And they have huge educational opportunities. They want to get this ethos out into the general sphere. Do you know the Smithsonian Institution um, did, at the Renwick Gallery had a Burning Man exhibit for over a year, um, the Smithsonian? And you know, they did a great job of sort of educating the public. And I was a docent there. I volunteered every week for about six months, once a week. And it was fascinating to be in this museum and have just the general public, you know, all the Smithsonian institutions are free of charge when, when, you, when you want to walk in. So we have, you know, tourists visiting Washington coming into the Renwick Gallery and, you know, for Burning Man exhibit. And it was just wonderful to like answer their questions. Um, so Burning Man is about getting, um, you know, get, get, getting this philosophy out into the broader world. For sure. But I think you can't really hear, go and listen to a lecture. You got to be there to take it in. It's, oh it's yeah. The, uh, yeah. What's the word? What are we looking for here? Immediacy. Immediacy. It's, just the, yeah. it's, it's experiencing something directly. Yeah. Yeah. Said, uh, I, having said that. But having said that, Bill, let me say one thing for viewers that are really interested uh, in this. So, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a big deal to go to this thing because, you know, it takes a lot of planning. It's, it's, uh, it, it's pricey by the time you add your, your ticket cost, your, maybe your fees for a camp, your airfare, everything. It adds up. But there's an alternative, and that is called the regional network. So Burning Man has regional festivals all around the world. And if you go on their website, or maybe if you just Google Burning Man Regionals, uh, you'll come up with a list. And those um, typically don't sell out. They're in beautiful places. There's one that, that I, I love down in Miami uh, called Love Burn. They usually have burn in the name somehow. Mm -hmm. um, and it's on a state park on a beach in Miami, 40 minutes from the airport. And it's in the middle of the winter. So those of us in the Northeast, you're talking about going down to Miami, you know, for some sun with some burners on the beach. It's like yeah. a, it's, it, yeah. I don't know why I didn't ask this earlier. Kids, it seems like Kids. this is an adults yeah. only. This is 18 and over. I mean, is yeah. there an age limitation? No, no, actually not. There's no age limitation. In fact, there's a huge camp called Kidsville, 
where it, this is especially for younger kids. So if you're a parent with a kid from an infant, I don't know about maybe, I'm guessing about up to maybe 10 or so, maybe less. I haven't been there, but it's an area where it's just for families and they have built-in babysitting. You know, that's kind of like what the camp does. So you'll find infants will be there. People, like I had a really good friend. I don't know if I have a picture. Well, maybe I'll, I'll get her to give me a picture. We'll put it up. So a great friend of mine, um, Katya, her, and her partner and baby, I think two-year-old, were at Burning Man this year. And the kid is uh, in a trailer, a little trailer that's attached to, a, to their bike. And the trailer has a you know, can have a cover, so if there's a dust storm. And, you know, the kid is there with little goggles and, and they're doing the burn with their baby. Um, and so there's, there's more and more of that going on. Um, what you don't see a lot of, though, are, are like the tweens. You know, I would say kids that are like, you know, 12 until they become adults, 12 to say 17 or Well, that so. age doesn't want to hang out with their parents it, anyway. Yeah, but also, for, yeah, this might be not the, you know, you have to be a special tween to... Yeah. As a parent, you have to know your kid is very special at that age to take them to this kind of thing because they're going to get exposed to, like, a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, you see young kids, and then you skip to young adults. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> we're going to, we're, Sarah and I are going to start looking for, we're going to talk to you about the camp. Uh, so what did we, we, it seems like, what else, what, what haven't we covered that you wanted to, you had a, uh, I know you as a very thorough guy. Yeah. With, uh, oh, Let's see. Um, maybe this real quick. Okay. I want I want to show you two two um, trinkets of yeah. So this is a necklace, and this is a uh, sorry a pendant, and this is a necklace with a little <coughs> elephant. And the reason I'm showing you these are these are samples of uh, gifts that I was given there. Um, you know, I mentioned it's a gifting economy, and even though I'm showing you these trinkets. Um, it's not just about physical things. There are gifts that are services, a lot of that, you know, whether it's, like I said, a foot massage, a hair wash, a shave, um, you know, of course, music and things like that. But there's also a lot of these sorts of things. And here's what made this special. This thing, I was walking back. I had been up for um, the whole night dancing at Robot Heart out in the desert. That's through, an elephant head through, we're yeah, looking at? Yeah, it's an okay. elephant head. Uh, and it's handmade. And anyway, I'd been out all night, and I'm walking back to my camp um, about, you know, 10 in the morning after having been all night dancing, and the sun is now up. And um, I had on, you know, it gets very cold at night, so I had on my attire still from the night, and I was hot. So um, I saw, like, a, a couch, you know, a regular, like, um, um, you know, fabric couch sitting out in the in desert. The desert, yeah. <laughs> this is what happened. You come across things like this all the time. And I'm going over to this thing to then put my backpack down, and I'm going to take off some of the clothing and just get down to shorts and a T-shirt, because now it's really hot. And there's a guy sitting there, and he's working making these things. And um, as, you know, I say hi to him, and I put my backpack down, and I start changing. And he says, let me ask you something. I said, yeah. He said, are you, are you a father? And I said, yeah. And he said, tell me, you know, um, I just found out I'm going to be a father for the first time. Tell me the most important lesson you've learned as a father. And I was like, wow, Jesus, you know, that's <laughs> deep. And I thought about it a minute, and, you know, then I told him. And, um, and the answer had to do with spending quality time. Mm -hmm. 
not quantity. It's about quality uh, with my daughter. And then he gave me this as a gift. You know, that's what he was doing. He was sitting there making these things, getting advice from people. That's the con that's typical yeah. of what you'll run into there. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll always remember him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm really glad we did this. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they we hadn't come up with this idea until it was so badly misreported. And right. We looked for you for days in the desert, only to find out you were having the best time of your life. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Uh, this has been the Bill Walton Show. I've been here with our producer, director, Kenny Ruff, who's a, a burner. We've been talking about Burning Man and uh, very appealing. You'll find a lot of the visuals um, as part of the show, but you'll also, I will send some, some links on the website as well. And, uh, Anyway, as always, hope you enjoyed this. As I mentioned at the outset, this is our adventure in backstage, which is where we get into things, in some ways, the things that really matter in life, um, the things that aren't politics or about the, the big policy fights that exist in the world, but those things that are personal. And this has been a very interesting world to peek into, and uh, I'm, I'm curious, and I hope you're curious. So... Uh, Stay tuned for our next adventure backstage. And uh, Kenny might be behind the camera then, but I don't know. You did such a great job as a guest. We may pull you back in. So anyway, thanks for taking in the Bill Walton Show, and we'll be back with you soon. Of course, you can find us on all the major websites, all the podcast platforms, Rumble, YouTube, et cetera, and um, Substack now. The list goes on. Um, anyway, thanks, and uh, looking forward to engaging with you uh, sometime soon. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.